This is Chris Flasto, host of The Investigation. Thank you for listening. We're going on hiatus, but be sure to stay subscribed for updates and new investigations from the team. If you're looking for more investigations, though, I have a recommendation. It's our daily podcast, Start Here. Each morning, in just 20 minutes, we'll take you to the biggest stories with insightful, straightforward reporting. All week, we'll be giving you a taste of Start Here, right here in the feed. But if you like what you hear, be sure to search for Start Here and hit subscribe, so it can be right there waiting for you each morning. Without further ado, here's Start Here. It's Monday, July 29th. It was supposed to be family fun until people couldn't find their family members. We start here. Gunshots at a California festival send bystanders running for their lives. They shooting at the garlic festival! Oh my God! We'll take you to the scene of one of multiple mass shootings this weekend. The new I-word is an impeachment. Rodent-infested mess. President Trump goes after another lawmaker of color, tweets blacks for Trump, and then accuses Democrats of playing the race card. And cop killings just don't happen very much in Italy. Now two American teenagers are on the hook for one. This is a huge story in Italy. This is front page of all the newspapers. The bizarre tale that has outraged a nation. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. Gilroy, California is not a big place. Suburban town, nice little downtown to it, and a lot of boutique farming. It's actually known as the garlic capital of the world. And the town's claim to fame is its annual garlic festival every year. And that festival was winding down yesterday when all of a sudden, gunshots began to ring out. And uh, as soon as I heard it... What's going on? What's going on? People were screaming, and I told them I knew what it was. Oh, oh they shoot it. Uh, it might be the puppy uh, shooter... We heard like 50, at least 50 shots. So many shots, and I saw people falling down. They shooting at the garlic festival! Oh my God! Kids falling down. I had to jump over three of the kids. Let's go to ABC's Alex Stone, based in LA, bolted immediately to the scene. And so, Alex, what do we know about how this unfolded? Well, the Garlic Festival is a big deal in Gilroy. As somebody who grew up in Northern California, I can tell you that everybody talks about the Gilroy Garlic Festival. There are uh, about 100,000 people who attend over the three-day period. This was the very end of the three-day festival. It was closing up. There was a classic rock band doing cover songs, essentially, who were up on the main stage. The band said they're playing uh, one more song. They played it, and that was the end of the show, and that's when the gunfire started. People say at first, you know, like we hear so many times with these, that with the music playing, they didn't know what it was. They thought it was part of the performance. I said, guys, off, and we cleared the stage at that point and ducked under the stage so we wouldn't be visible. And then they could see the bullets hitting the ground. They could see the dust coming up. They could hear the gunshots going off. That's when they began to run. It was the very end of the festival when the whole thing broke out. And so the police came out uh, several hours later and described at least the initial sort of responses as to what they thought happened. What do we know? Because they, they sounded kind of unsure themselves. They just don't know right now. But what is clear to them is one gunman is down. He was shot by police. There was an exchange of gunfire between police. And they began a search for a second shooter, potentially, or somebody involved in some way. But what's clear to them 
is how the gunmen got into the festival grounds. They used some sort of a tool to cut through the fence to be able to gain access through the secure fence line. Uh, and that's how they got into the festival area itself. But were the victims targeted? Police say it doesn't look like it, that they think that, that they were hit randomly and that the victims were not known to the, the gunmen at all. But now they're working on the why. Out of all of this, we always ask why. That's what police are trying to figure out. Yeah, and that's what's so bizarre here is the sense that it was general, that it was not specifically targeted at anyone, but that this person certainly had a plan as they cut their way into this festival. A lot of information continuing to develop this morning. Uh, Alex Stone on it all. In the meantime, you can check out abcnews.com or the ABC News app for more. Alex, thanks so much. You got it. Thanks, Brad. This is about us saying that we're tired of seeing our people dying on these streets. And important to note, by the way, not the only mass shooting of the weekend. A block party in Brooklyn also became a battlefield on Saturday night when multiple shooters opened fire. Twelve people shot there, one fatally. In the meantime, in Gilroy, California, at least 15 people injured, at least three people killed before the gunman was shot dead by police. Now, before all that broke, the other big story of the weekend had been unfolding on the other side of the country where President Trump had picked a fight with the city of Baltimore. President Trump taking on the chair of the House Oversight Committee, tweeting, he's a brutal bully. Specifically, the president was calling out Elijah Cummings, the Democratic congressman who's represented Maryland's 7th district for more than 20 years. Adding, it's a filthy place and no human being would want to live there. He also now leads the powerful House Oversight Committee, which has investigated President Trump on a number of fronts. And think about how bizarre it is for any American president to say any American town is a horrible place to live. And they also pointed out, while well, crime rates are high, you cannot call Baltimore poor without calling almost half the country poor. The income there is right on the national average. So for the second time in two weeks, these critics said President Trump is being overtly racist here. And they said that's not an accident. A racist president who attacks people because they are African-Americans. Perry Bacon Jr. is a senior writer for our partners at 538. He covers politics, race, and identity. And so, Perry, I mean, walk me through how this outrage began. So this is the first the sort of context, two elements. First, Congressman Cummings has been critical and was critical this week of what the Border Patrol has been doing on the southern border. We're doing our level best in a very... Ch- what does that mean? What does that mean when a child is sitting in their own feces? Can't take a shower. Come on, man. Well, Democrats like Congressman Elijah Cummings say they care about how migrants are being treated at the border. But what about the families and people in their own district? And there was a Fox News segment Saturday morning before the tweets in which highlighted Cummings and also highlighted some of the challenges of Baltimore. The city lined with abandoned buildings and trash on the streets. And I think the things that really were the most... uh, Problematic, where he refers to um, Cummings District as a quote, disgusting rat and rodent infested mess. Often, when the president refers to places, and pretty much only when he refers to places using the words like infestation or infested, those places tend to be known for having high populations of blacks and Latinos in particular. So it seems to be a racially infused attack, if not an outright racist one. Well, yeah, and the president even retweeted this conservative commentator who called Baltimore 
the same vulgar expletive he once used to describe African countries, right? So, Perry, if you're a political strategist, the question has to be, why, right? Why do this? If you're this president, you're feeling like the Mueller probe hasn't ensnared you. You're about to sign a bill for 9-11 first responders today. These tweets, are they reactive or are they strategic? So part of this was just maybe Trump reacting to the news. He does tend to watch the news, particularly Fox, and just react to it. That said, the actual comments are, you know, we're we're now maybe two weeks out of when the president, you know, of course, attacked four Democratic congresswomen, said they should go back to their countries. They're always telling us how to run it, how to do this, how to do that. You know what? If they don't love it, tell them to leave it. The race part of that, I don't want to overplay because in some ways Trump attacks all of his critics. The performance was obviously not very good. He had a lot of problems. He has been very critical of Robert Mueller, who's an older white man like Trump. So it's not just about race with Trump. But I do think he is trying to sort of recreate the conditions of 2016. You remember deplorables, right? That sounds worse. I think that's worse. But we'll save it for whoever's going to be the nominee. And right now, Sleepy Joe's not looking too good. Pocahontas. Because if you see in the last two weeks, what you see is Trump attacks these liberal uh, minority members of Congress, and that forces the, the other Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, to go up and defend them. And in Trump's campaign, their view is if Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are spending their time defending AOC, that's a good place for Trump to be in. I don't know if that's right or not. I mean, because we have two different data points. One is in the 2016 election. A lot of voters swung from Obama in 2012 to Trump in 2016. And a lot of evidence suggests those voters agree with Trump's more conservative views on immigration. But then you have 2018, where the Democrats won in all these suburban House districts. And the way they won was a lot of voters who are okay with the economy and think Trump is doing a good job on the economy, but don't like his tone and his message and and Charlottesville and things like that. So to me, Trump is really running a risky, high risk, high reward strategy. This might work. But if you ask Mitch McConnell, I'm sure Mitch McConnell, the other Republicans would say, please stop tweeting. Please stop tweeting, particularly incendiary things. The president's not a racist. And I think the tone of all of this is not good for the country. And talk about the economic growth in the country. Just from mm. a political strategy perspective, people don't like Trump because of the way he talks and the way he tweets and this personal tone stuff. And to your point, Perry, lots of Republican allies pushing back this weekend saying this was not a racist attack. This is the president criticizing a place, a person. He actually took the step of calling Elijah Cummings a bully and a racist himself, despite Cummings' history and civil rights. And remember, Congress is now out of town for the next two weeks. Donald Trump gets a much bigger megaphone to himself. Perry Bacon Jr., glad we could get you on this megaphone. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Next up on Start Here, lots of people have resigned from the Trump administration. Only one of them was in charge of all of our spies. (laughs) 
This weekend, ABC News and Ipsos launched this new poll, which asked this online panel of Americans what they thought about Robert Mueller's testimony last week. What we saw was, shocker, a super polarized electorate. You had a quarter of Americans that said this made them more likely to support impeachment of the president. Another quarter said they're less likely, and more than half of Americans gave this collective shrug. Eh, no difference. I still think what I think. What was perhaps more illuminating was this other question. We asked people, how confident are you the U.S. can effectively defend itself from foreign governments looking to interfere in the 2020 election? A majority, more than 50% of Americans said they're either not so confident or not confident at all. Well, the guy who oversees all of our intelligence agencies, the one person most responsible for preventing attacks is Dan Coats, our director of national intelligence. And overnight, the president announced a new person is taking that job. Let's go to ABC's Karen Travers covering the White House. Karen, how did this go down? Do we know? Yeah, well, first of all, it was a Trump tweet. No surprise. The president likes to make personnel announcements on Twitter. And he said that Dan Coats would be out uh, on August 15th as a director of national intelligence. And the president says he's going to nominate a little known Republican congressman, not somebody that's a big household name, John Ratcliffe of Texas. He will be replacing Coats if he gets through the Senate. Now, there have been rumblings for a bit now that Coats was on the way out. It seemed like it was just a matter of when, not if. Well, here's the thing. I guess I kind of get what the CIA does. Mm -hmm. I get its mission. The NSA is a thing I've heard of. Mm -hmm. The DNI, Dan Coates. I mean, even his name is boring, Karen. (laughs) Why is this so significant? And he would probably appreciate that. You know, you don't want to be in the headlines. You don't want to be somebody that's causing waves as the director of national intelligence. You oversee all of the nation's intelligence agencies. And that's a really difficult and also very critical job. And especially in this administration, when you have a president who's been so critical of the intelligence community. President tweeting, the intelligence people seem to be extremely passive and naive when it comes to the dangers of Iran. They are wrong. Those comments so infuriated the president, he tweeted, perhaps intelligence should go back to school. Dan Coats was one of the least controversial people to serve for president Trump. But he clashed with the president on a couple key issues. And of course, the big one is Russian interference. Even as Russia faces a weakening economy, the Kremlin is stepping up its campaign to divide Western political and security institutions and undermine the post-World War II international order. Dan Coats has made it very clear in his job as the director of national intelligence that Russia did it, and Russia is going to continue trying to interfere in U.S. elections. And Brad, of course, we've seen the president. I mean, he's critical of that conclusion. People came to me, Dan Coats came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. And we've seen him be Uh, apologetic for Russia and Vladimir Putin. Uh, He just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. Say, we have some breaking news. The White House has announced on Twitter that Vladimir Putin is coming to the White House in the fall. Say that again. (laughs) Is this kind of a gig, though, where you can just plug one guy in for the other and everything just keeps steaming ahead? Or is John Ratcliffe like the, the unknown quantity? A major unknown quantity. And I think the big question is going to be, can he even get confirmed? And if he does, it's going to likely be on straight party line vote. You know, the Democrats are already pushing back on this, saying he has no experience and he has no known profile on intelligence issues. Uh, This is somebody who's only been on the House Intelligence Committee for seven months. He's the junior Republican on this committee. Mm. Look for Democrats to make 
this a big deal? We've already seen a response from the Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, who says that Ratcliffe got picked for this because of blind loyalty to President Trump. Here's the problem, Director. The special counsel didn't do that. Which he displayed last week at that hearing with Robert Mueller. You made no decision. You told us this morning and in your report that you made no determination. So respectfully, Director, you didn't follow the special counsel regulations. It clearly And Schumer says says that uh, it's going to be a big mistake if Senate Republicans just approve him for this very critical position. We saw this bipartisan love for Dan Coats overnight. We're not seeing that for Ratcliffe this morning. Uh, Karen Travers in Washington. Thanks for the update. Thanks, Brad. I mean, I was in the courtroom when they were calling me a devil. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be called certain things in the media, and then it's another thing to be sitting in a courtroom fighting for your life while people are calling you a devil. Ever since the arrest and acquittal of American Amanda Knox, there's been this very uneasy relationship between the American public and Italian police. The trust is not fully there all the time. And right now, the public in Rome is transfixed by the murder of a cop and a pair of American teenagers, police say did it. The lawyers for these teens say they're being treated unfairly, but police say they have got loads of evidence, a confession, and that this case is airtight. ABC senior foreign correspondent Ian Panel is there in Rome, and so Ian, get us up to speed. What did police say happened here? Yeah, what police say is that this all began during a so-called drug deal that went bad. They say the two Americans approached a man allegedly asking where they could buy drugs. We've been to that part of town. It's very busy out tonight. There are lots of American teenagers there, a lot of drunkenness, a lot of activity, and apparently a lot of drugs. That man apparently led them to a dealer who police say sold them fake cocaine. The two, then angry at this, went back to the man and stole the backpack of the man who pointed them towards a drug dealer. A surveillance video apparently captured showing two men running away after the theft. The police say then the man who'd had his backpack taken had a phone inside it and he called the phone. The two Americans then allegedly demanded the man give them $110 if he wanted his knapsack back. The man reportedly called the police who showed up undercover to the meeting near the Vatican for the exchange. And tragically, of course, that ended with one of the two officers who were in plain clothes being stabbed eight times. Now, police say the two then went back to their hotel, it wasn't very far away, preparing to leave the country when officers moved in and arrest them. They're now saying that both teens have allegedly confessed after investigators say they found overwhelming evidence in the room, including the supposed murder weapon, which they said was hidden behind one of the ceiling tiles, and bloody clothing. But just one more thing, at a hearing this weekend, both Americans waived their right to speak. And yet still there are complaints about these police and how they're treating their suspects. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a very, very unfortunate image of one of the defendants uh, blindfolded and handcuffed. We we believe that the picture was taken by another police officer, shared on a WhatsApp group, and next thing you know, it's on the front pages of the newspapers. But the police commissioner now coming out saying what happened was illegal and a mistake and that the image was taken after the suspects uh, were taken in for questioning. I've been to too many of these funerals and I never thought ever that I would have to be doing this. And we unfortunately hear about the dangers of being an American police officer all the time. And some of our foreign reporters have told us cops being killed on the job, it just doesn't happen in Europe, barely ever. So what is it like over there right now? 
I mean, it's not just in Rome. This is a huge story in Italy. This is front page of all the newspapers. It's leading all the TV news and the radio shows. Uh, Italian politicians have weighed in. You know, there might be shock and disbelief back home in San Francisco. I've known Finn since he was born, and I'm in shock. He's the nicest guy, one of the nicest neighbors I've I have. But here it's anger and outrage. Uh, originally, they'd pinned the blame on immigrants, and of course, migration is a huge political issue here in Italy. Uh, but now the deputy prime minister tweeting saying that he thinks the two Americans should get life with, quotes, hard labor. And these parents are saying they're unclear how these teens would even have known each other since apparently they were not friends in the States. Ian Panel in Rome. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Brad. And one last thing. Yesterday, a 22-year-old became the youngest winner of the Tour de France in modern history. Egon Bernal took the yellow jersey on one of the final days of the tour, becoming the first winner from Colombia ever. And for all that hard work, 21 days of climbing through the Alps, through the Pyrenees, of skidding through hail, Bernal gets about half a million dollars, which is a great payday for a 22-year-old. But a few hours later... And the first ever Fortnite World Champion... We're going to crown that today. A 16-year-old American won three million bucks for playing a video game. Kyle Giersdorf, who goes by Booga online, won the first ever solo event of the Fortnite World Cup. People gathered by the thousands to basically watch these big screens. And if you had a good view, you could watch your favorite players in person stare at a smaller screen. And just to give you a sense of how much money there is in gaming right now, this event was played at Arthur Ashe Stadium, which was built to host the U.S. Open. The winner of that grueling tennis tournament will barely make more than Booga just did. So you're a world champion. You're millions of dollars richer. Does it feel at all in this moment like your life has changed? Uh, honestly, no. Not right now, but it'll probably kick in later when I'm by myself just sitting down. Now, technically, Egon Bernal's cycling team gets a big payday for winning as well. But in Tour de France tradition, the winner is supposed to give up his share to thank his teammates for the hard work. So he'll settle for half a million, but it could be worse. The U.S. women's soccer team each got one thirtieth of Buga's prize for winning their World Cup. Random thought, anyone want to meet up and practice video games later? Just a thought. Start here tomorrow. Just hit subscribe. More on all these stories at abcnews.com or the ABC News app. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow.